You're listening to the Laugh Factory Podcast Network. For more shows, visit the podcast page at laughfactory.com. It's the after laugh, after laugh. Welcome to the after laugh, after laugh, after laugh. <laughs> after laugh, man. <laughs> Go ahead, pull up a chair. Hey guys, welcome to the after laugh. This is a fun episode for me. I have here my friend, Brennan Lee Cook. Actor, Brennan Lee Cook. And you are like, that is your thing. You are an actor. Dude, like that's, that's all I am. That's my, <laughs> that's my identity. No, but you're also, um, you're a writer too. You I've have f- written some stuff. Yeah, you've, yeah. You ha- I mean, it's pretty amazing. We, we told a story before. You have a film on Amazon right now. I do. That... Uh, Tell the story. So what the, what's the film on Amazon right now? It's called I Wrote This For You. I Wrote This For You. Um, it's about a, uh, a heartbroken heartbroken poet um, who had just gone through a breakup and then tries to pick up the pieces of his life through spoken word poetry. Yes. Um, Which sounds like something I would never watch. No, yeah. No. <laughs> but I'm going to watch it. I feel like I should have watched it before this interview. Oh, uh, you didn't watch it yet? I know I haven't. Damn, I'm sorry. Dude. It's all good. But we had a long discussion about that. And, and, and it... It's your first screenplay that you wrote, and mm-hmm. you wrote you, you wrote pretty quickly too, right? Yeah, I wrote it uh, under a month. Under a month, which is insane. But I had been compiling notes. You know that that like that uh, notes app in your phone. Yeah, I've been like writing down random shit from like bars and libraries yeah. and random places I went to, and just started picking up on people's conversations. And I got inspired from like every. Were you life. recording conversations and stuff too? No, that's, that's that's too far. That'd be yeah. a little creepy, you know. <laughs> the, the dude in the corner. I was always by myself. Yeah, so I'm like in the corner you just of the go bar, to a bar by yourself, just listening, just having like maybe one beer, listening to everyone around me, and uh, then I'd write down the whatever anything that stuck out to me. I'd be like, oh, you know, that's interesting. That yeah, could, that could be a character in this. There's I love a, that. There's a lot of characters in it too. So when you went to write the script. Did your notes, they were really, they just gave you the template right there or was it? Yeah, it's funny. I, I, there was like, I had no intention of writing a screenplay. At the time I had really gone through a breakup in my life that was very difficult for me to, to process and to, to go through. And how long were you with the woman? When you uh, two and a half years. Two and a half years. That's right. When it gets, it, that's the pound of flesh stage. It's the, it's when you're at the crossroads where it's like, can I spend the rest of my life with this person? Yes. And then in my mind it was like, yeah, I, I could totally see that. Yeah. But, you know, my priorities were all screwed up. So was that the first time you'd been dumped? Um, no. 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 Okay. No, but I that, feel like the first time you get dumped as an adult is a really edifying moment in your life cuz we all get dumped in elementary school and college and it's just yeah. it's just a morass of confusion, people right. screaming. It doesn't really mean but when you're an adult and you have responsibilities. And you really and you envisioned a, a future with this You envisioned person? a yeah. future of actual, not just like, yeah, baby, we could be together because you want to get laid. Yeah. It, it's really different when you start contemplating marriage and the breakup happens because your whole worldview is predicated on this relationship. So it's over. For me, for my first adult dumpage, and there have been several, Brennan, <laughs> uh, it became a moment of, who am I? Sure. Like, what is my world mean like i'd thought that me and this girl were like we found each other by fate in the universe and i think that i don't know if this is everywhere in the world probably but maybe particularly in america you get sort of ensconced this idea of of fate and kismet and we found each other Mm -hmm. after these hard things in our lives and we're meant to be together and at our at this late stage in our life which isn't late it was like you know i was 
late thirties and she was early thirties. It just felt yeah. like this is when it happens. Mm-hmm. It's like predestined. Yeah. Yeah. It's written. Like we can't fight it. If God's taking the wheel, what do we, we, we're going to deny it. So when the breakup happened, I literally, it affected my ego and self-worth in, in such a way that, uh, set me back quite a bit. You know, I didn't know the only other corollary I could find is when I found out I had a daughter hmm. because I was like a young actor on the scene in New York doing Broadway and off Broadway and getting nominated for awards. And all of a sudden I had a daughter and everything was like, your life is over. Mm. And I didn't have the tools to process it. So it was a weird moment. I mean, I think now I'm at the point where any relationship I'm in and I, this would be my advice for anybody, obviously. And we'll get back to your story as I delve into my sadness. <laughs> but, um, if it's over, you're going to be okay. Yes. And you have to live your life with the belief. Not like, it doesn't mean you don't commit and you don't love, you don't fully invest right. in the relationship, but you have to have the belief that you are enough. You know? So, Absolutely. So it sounds like with this, this movie, you went through this break. It sounds like you went through some, something similar like that. Like yeah, like you I lost my identity. You I, lost your identity. I had to find it again. Yeah. You know? Was uh, it, what was that? Was it you thinking I'm not good enough or I'm not worthy or what were the feelings? It just that- made me reflect on on what went wrong and what what I did. What do you think? What do you think that was? Um, did you do therapy? To, to, to I, I haven't gone. To, I probably should. <laughs> I mean, dude, let me just let me just let me just pin this real quick. Yeah, I think that what's really cool about your story with this film is, I think anyone who's a true artist, the idea that you can have something traumatic and turn it into a product mm. that is seen by people and bought by company and pays you is sort of the ultimate <laughs> gift as an artist. Absolutely. I, I went by the mantra, take your broken heart and turn it into art. And uh. I, think, I think Carrie Fisher actually coined that. Oh, and really? Yeah. I like that. And Meryl Streep said it at the Golden Globes in 2018, yeah, 17? Yeah, Meryl Streep says it, it's fucking Bible. Oh, absolutely. <laughs> <laughs> so I... I uh, yeah, man, I like looked at my, my notes app and I was like, you know what, there could be a through line here. So I just sat down at a computer every morning at AM, went to like the Starbucks right across the street here actually from the Laugh Factory. And uh, I just started writing with oh, no wow. no intention that it would ever get made into anything. But you were, but you were, so you were writing a screenplay. You weren't writing yeah. like a novella or a story. You're like, I'm right. going to write this screenplay. I wrote a screenplay as my therapy. As your therapy. Did you get, because I think a lot of people have this idea of like, oh, one day I'll write a screenplay or I could write the screenplay. And the thing is, they just don't do it. So how did you find the self-discipline wherewithal to wake up? Did you get like the artist's way book? Did you have a formula? It was just like, I'm just going to do it. And you have that type of self-discipline? It was all I had. Yeah. It was it was my only outlet. And at this point, and we talked about this briefly, and we'll get to it. We did a movie together. That's how I know Brian. But um, were you living in Skid Row at the time? No, this is this is pre-Skid Row. Pre-Skid Row. I met her while I was living in Skid Row. Wow. Um, she wasn't down there, but I, I met her... At the time, I had a restaurant job, and uh-huh. she was a server there, and I was serving as well. And I met her in the restaurant, and she knew I was living on Skid Row, and I would take like three buses to get to work. Jesus. Um, that was a whole other era of my life. That I was I was in Skid Row for two and a half months. Now, let's, let's tell people about yeah. Skid Row, because my experience, I have a really brief experience with Skid Row. Skid Row is an area that's probably like four or five blocks yeah. in downtown LA, and there is sort of a, a storied past to Skid uh, that that some people sort of celebrate like oh 
Skid Row, and it was almost at some point a commune for artists to a degree. Yeah. But I think it became just overrun by drugs and mm-hmm. homelessness. And I was going to shoot a stand-up special on a roof in a building in Skid Row. No shit. And I and I'm, I mean, I'm a big guy. I'm a fucking brown belt in jujitsu. And I remember I drove down to Skid Row, and it was like I am legend. I mean, I'm barely exaggerating when I say that. A lot of people, oh, it's like no, it's really. It's a, it's no one's town. driving streets. Yeah. People are just off their meds, wandering around, screaming, bicycles. Oh yeah, they run that town. It's anything goes. And yeah. when you walk into it, you're definitely a stranger in a community that feels like even if they all look crazy and they're counting marbles or whatever, they know each other Yeah, and they feel protective. So the guy who was running the, um, who had the building that we were going to rent to shoot the special, he was very much part of like, you can't make fun of Skid Row. You can't like, you're special. It can't be about that. Oh, wow. Um, it ended up falling apart for, for several reasons. Um, luckily, probably. But um, so I, I think that's just, a, people don't really know. What is the history of Skid Row? Do you know what sort of- I, I don't, I don't. Because there's a museum, a Skid Row museum. Yeah, there's a whole history there. There's a whole history yeah. there. So how do you go from, and this will get to your story a little bit, you're from Orange County, right? I'm, yeah, I grew up privileged, man. Like upper, <laughs> upper middle and upper. Upper middle, and your parents are still together? <laughs> My parents are divorced. They're divorced. Yes. Okay. So that might be a factor. It in could be. Putting you in a situation. Just in terms of like usually when there's a cohesive parental unit, yeah. They're usually easier. They could focus more on their child as yes. their own fucking personal drama. Um, so you, you know, young guy, good looking guy, and you experienced some success pretty early on as an actor, correct? Yeah, yeah, yeah. So, a little bit, yeah. Yeah, you know. I, I grew up in a privileged, you know, Orange County is What part of Orange County? Uh, Mission Viejo, Dude, which is the so. second safest city in the entire world. Is it really? <laughs> yeah. I would spend some summers there because my aunt lives there. There's like there. nothing to do there, man. Oh yeah, we used to go to the rec center. Remember they have the, the, they have they have the pool. They have the Olympic yeah. diving pool, and Greg Luganis, yep. the old he would dive from that thing. That was like their yeah, claim to fame. It's like the only the, thing to do. The giant concrete <laughs> fucking platform to jump from. Yeah, man. And you know when you're living in it, I, I wasn't aware of my privilege. Of course not. I really wasn't. I thought that the whole world kind of lived that way. And was your school a hundred percent white? Like ninety percent? Like ninety eight percent? Ninety eight percent. Yeah. Like everyone knew the black guy. Yeah, there was one. <laughs> there was one. <laughs> Another one percent was Hispanic. Yeah, yeah. All my friends were white, um, <clears throat> so I wasn't the most cultured. And then I, I, I started to become aware that Orange County is such a conservative bubble, and I wanted to, you know, once I left high school, I wanted to stay in California but get a little bit more taste for culture. So I went to yeah. San Francisco and I went to the American Conservatory Theater, studied acting there, um, and then I flunked out. And I dropped out. Okay, how do you flunk out of acting school, dude? I didn't show. That's up. a dis- that's a display problem. Yeah. That's not like oh you couldn't. That's a me problem. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> no, that's, that's not like the classes were so hard. Yeah, no, no, no. I couldn't I, pretend to be a yeah. tree well enough in improv <laughs> class. Where the fuck it is? I had this weird mentality where I just I was young and I thought I was hot shit and I thought I was. Yeah, I don't know if I thought you it was, thought, probably thought you were too good for acting school in a way but maybe I was just lazy or it was a combination of the two and I just I didn't but I loved performing and I loved getting up in front of audiences I, the thing with me is I only wanted to do the shows yes. I didn't want to do the classes You're like Alan Iverson you didn't, want to, <laughs> yeah. you didn't want to practice you just want to play the game yeah man exactly and then I had this Dennis Rodman thing about me too where I was partying all the time so everyone knew that you were the partier yeah. you, you relished it I was the wildcat for sure now, how did you get exposed to drugs? This is also interesting because we come from mm-hmm. very different backgrounds. Like, yeah. 
not like I'm from the other side of the tracks, but ish, yeah. like, m- m- you know, like I always joke, like I'm half white, half trash. We're like <laughs> lower middle. I went to, a, my public school is very rough and tumble. Like mm. we couldn't have night games at my football, on the football field at TC Williams because of riots. Oh shit. There's so many riots that would break out. They're like, okay, we can only have day games here. Wow, that's intense. <laughs> so Saturday, it was like Saturday afternoon, we'd play home games. We could not have a night game. We'd get held uh, after school for drive-by shooting alerts. And the school is probably about s- close to around 70% black when I was there. Um, and again, like you, it wasn't weird to me. It was just how you, that's what school was. Yeah, that's all you knew. You right. could get beat up at any point by some black guy for some reason, you know. Yeah. And it didn't make you racist because on the flip side you'd have a lot of great relationships and and as you know like the black community is like so fun and funny and there was a lot of like energy in that school that was really cool and our athletic program was off the fucking chain so um but uh why why did i bring that so so my point is because crack was such a problem Mm -hmm. in the 90s in alexandria um drugs were never cool for the white kids Mm. in public school because they were getting arrested. Our starting offensive lineman was sent to jail opening night yeah. with cocaine and handgun. Jesus. So um, it never felt like the thing to do. It wasn't the way to rebel against your parents by doing a little bit, but in general, d- drugs had a different feeling. And I knew that the kids from Episcopal High School in St. Stephen's across the road that was the thing to do if you were from that area like hey guys i got some fucking coke and that was the coolest guy at episcopal high school that's the popular guy that's the popular guy yeah so how did you get introduced to to drugs uh i went to san francisco because you know it's funny i didn't i didn't know i didn't even know what marijuana was man i was so straight edge in high school and i i drank maybe at two parties oh wow and i i just i didn't do anything i actually i didn't lose my virginity until i was 19 wow i was saving it for marriage bloomer yeah I, i was trying to save it for marriage and then I went to San Francisco. And was this a religious morality that was kind of it like was. guiding it, you? Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Yeah. I, I was driven by uh, saving it for Jesus. Of course. And I mean, my, I, w- I, w- I was too until a woman agreed to have sex with me. And That's what it was. It was kind of like, it was like an offer almost. And I was like, well, how do I say no? I'm, you know? I'm saving it till marriage. And the woman's like, well, I have sex. I'm like, well, yeah. 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 <laughs> That's how it happens that fast. Uh, so I, I, I... I was late to registering for housing at college, and so I got thrown into a random uh, situation where I was living with three random guys who were also late to registering for housing. So, so it was a type of guy. That was yeah, it was a type of guy who I was living with. Who <laughs> int- he a whole new world, my friend. It was he had because his dad. I'm not going to name names, but his sure. dad was one of the people who like helped engineer acid. Yeah, like he like knew the so guy. So Timothy Leary and all that shit. Yes, 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 yes. That, that's the one. Yeah. Wait, he was Timothy Leary's he, son. Yeah, no, no, no. He he you knew can name he, names a little. He, bit. He, yeah, he knew he knew that guy. It was in that circle. Yes, yes. yes. And he just had wow. access to everything. And so it kind of it didn't start off right off the bat. But so you were okay. So you were sheltered. You'd only had a couple drinks before. Yeah. You had a strong religious upbringing yes. and background. Correct. That you're holding on to, and you're in this room, in this place, and of course you want to fit in. Mm-hmm. Because people think, oh, it's high school. It's I, I don't know if it's high school. I think it's college where the need to fit in is actually the strongest. In yeah, a way. there's yeah, exactly. There's like almost that pressure. 
where you just want to people tell you it's the best part of your life it's, yeah. it's just gonna be the these be the days of your life and you want to you know live it to the fullest and that's what it was and i was like yeah you know what i'm gonna I, i've never done this before and i want to you know not my my not my protest but i wanted to experience new things yeah so how did how was it what was the first drug that you were in, introduced to it was weed it was the, weed. the gateway. The ga- it really is. Let's <laughs> it, be it really it is. Really is. Uh, I was I was drinking more. I I started smoking weed, and then I got into. What's the first one? Because the first one I smoked weed was a very particular moment in my life that I, I remember very strongly. Yeah. It was Michael Hall. You know Michael Hall from Dexter. Yeah, Michael C. Hall. Yeah, Michael C. Hall, great actor. Yeah. Um, big weed guy. I don't know if he still is, but back in the day, he was. I didn't know that. People, what people don't realize about Mike is that he is. Um, He's a he's a good old boy from North Carolina. Mm-hmm, I can see that with a fucking edge to him, but funny as fuck. And really, dude, he's hilarious. <laughs> he is so fu- he should do more comedy. I want to be his manager. <laughs> you gotta go. do more comedy, bro. Yeah. I mean, he's great in Dexter, but I'm like, dude, he's fucking hysterical funny. Wow. So, um, he uh, and he's got this like Southern accent and stuff. And what does it really? Yeah, he's from North Carolina. He's like Shit. a North Carolina boy. Well, and I told him um, I was interested in doing it. So he said, okay, we'll come over and we'll, you know, I'll yeah. introduce you to it. And I I remember I went to his apartment in New York and I showed up and I was all shy. <laughs> it was like a day, like, I'm going to lose my virginity to you, Michael. <laughs> it's my first time. And he was like, it's cool, man. He was like, and he was just smoking. We were playing darts. So and, wholesome. Uh, <laughs> and I'm, I, I was always just trying to be cool with everything. Like, I'm just, I don't think it's really affecting me, man. You know, just my... I got strong fucking Scotch warrior blood. I don't know what it is, man. <laughs> and uh, and at one point, he went up to the dartboard, and it was that game Skunk, where you have the 17 and 20. Yeah. And there was a chalk outline around the 17 that went around the 17 and went all the way down to the bottom of the board. And he goes, he goes man, it looks like somebody like circled this and then died, fell down. <laughs> and I was on the ground for 10 minutes laughing. <laughs> At which point I was like, I must be, because I was on the floor in pain. That's how it starts. Laughing from that. <laughs> um, and it, it, but it wasn't one of those things where I was like, oh man, weed's going to be my thing. And I kind of like dropped out of it. Now I fucking mm. love weed. Oh, it was the opposite for me. I loved it right from oh, the start. It's just like, oh, this makes sense. I was like, this is an escape. Yeah. You what know? were you escaping from at the time? Did you have... Pain? I was there escape, something you were no, no, not even. It was like an escape, as in like, um, escape I, as in. I, 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 I'm very imaginative. Mm-hmm. I like to, like, this sounds fucking psycho, but I like to create little movies in my head. Mm-hmm. And when smoking weed was such a new thing for me, but it was it was so um, cerebral for me. I had such a visceral reaction to it that I all the imaginative things that I would think of would almost become, they would almost feel real. And when you mm. first start smoking weed, at least for me, it was such like a powerful, strong experience. Yeah. Like if I smoke weed now, it's not the same as if I smoked my yeah, freshman year of college. It blows you out now. Yeah. Why it, is that? Do you think you, the brain, the way the brain is developed at that maybe age? Maybe just adjusts to the drug. Yeah. It just becomes accustomed to it. And then you, you get to relax or, you know, whatever. But, um, at the time, I I loved it, and that that was my gateway. Then I started experimenting with psychedelics. I, I did pretty much. That's it. another big step to go from weed. Yeah, because that by the way, that was a step I took this year for the first time. That we, oh really? Yeah, it was I this didn't year. do mushrooms until this year. Wow. Until COVID quarantine, I was like, 
the world's ending. I might as well get some. I've never done coke to this day. But again, coke better for it, man. The connotation. Well, there are a few things. Everyone who knows me really is like, dude, don't do coke because you will love it. Yeah, nah, don't even. It'll be too good for you. Don't waste your time. And then there's a certain age where all of a sudden you're like 28 and you haven't done it. You're like, I'm not going to be the guy in my 30s starting coke. Yeah. So I just kind of, I mean, I might do it now. I don't, probably not. I've broken my nose so many times. I don't know what the fuck's going to happen. My yeah, nose will fall apart. You don't apart. want to do that. Take it anally. <laughs> oh, that's right. That's the thing. Yeah, I have a friend who used to do that. Oh he was a God. physician and he like took it up his ass and I was like, dude, that does not seem fun at all. I dated a girl who was so into coke, but she had such a problem because I think she had epilepsy or she had some oh, issue shit. that she would put on a, like, a retard helmet, like a safety helmet, and inject it into her neck, knowing that she oh would probably like God, pass that, out. That's so intense. That's intense. That's like I need coke. Jesus, let me get my helmet. Um, <laughs> I know it's oh, fucking he's bizarre. Committed. Jeez. She wrote a book called My Fair Junkie about that. Anyway, <laughs> so uh, so the first time, what was first, cocaine or psychedelics? Psychedelics. Because this guy was, he was the man. He was the man. And I was like, well, if I like weed, I'll probably like other things too, you know? And then I found out what I liked and what didn't quite click. What was the first psychedelic? Was it LSD or mushrooms? L- LSD. Wow, you went right to LSD. Oh, right. Yep. God damn. Have you ever, and we've talked about this briefly as well, but have you thought about your sort of chemical makeup and your emotional and psychological makeup that would jump to that when you are a guy of integrity? Mm-hmm with a, a strong religious background that you're like, yeah, man, is it just, well, that my, probably my mentality was, well, I did this one thing. Yeah. So now I'm not pure anymore. Now I can do anything. Now the floodgates are open. Oh, and then wow. you just, yeah, yeah. So it really is the gateway. You're it actually, really, you are a poster child. I am, yeah, absolutely. <laughs> I'm the walking testament. What was your first experience with LSD? Like I still, I've yet to do that. Yeah. I, I don't know. I, it's not my drug of choice. I didn't close it. Was it scary? It just feels manufactured. Mm. It's like, it's not, it doesn't feel like a pure high. To me, at least, some people fucking love it, man. And of you course. have amazing experiences and amazing trips. That wasn't for me. I remember it feeling manufactured and feeling like a chemical. Oh, wow. Whereas with shrooms, it feels like this is something I can put in my body and it just feels more appropriate. It feels more organic. Yeah. You know, I, I, the high doesn't feel as impure, if that makes mm-hmm. sense. And I vibe with it, man. And the, and it's the one drug where the come down, in my opinion, is better than, uh, than the high. I love the come down. I get like in the Zen mode and I start reflecting so on my life. So mellow. And you know, when you're on the come down too, with shrooms as well. Yeah, you do. Like, oh, I hit my peak and now I'm coming down. Yeah. And you're just chilling, man. Just chilling. Just chilling. And then you yeah. smoke some weed. And then you smoke weed. And yeah, then, I've been yeah. combining weed with mushrooms, which is... I, but here's the problem with that, because I think I become hilarious on mushrooms. Oh, everything's funny to me. When I'm on shrooms, you could, you could make a face at me and I'll be on the floor. So when I'm doing shrooms with people, one of the things that bugs them is I need my phone. On oh, me. interesting. Because I never know when I'm going to come up with something that I need to write down. That's oh, funny. Oh, I like that. Yeah, yeah. yeah, yeah. I got I to gotta write this down, and I'll just be like, "Oh my god!" And then I'll if my phone's too if my phone's like say ten feet away. <laughs> by the time I get to my phone, I'm like, "What the fuck was I going to write?" <laughs> yeah, right. So I'm like, what were we just talking about? What were we talking about? And I'll have to like replay the whole thing. And like the last time was um oh <laughs> I was talking about um oh you know how people do the the jerk off gesture like oh, fuck the yeah, 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 and I was thinking. 
that's such a disrespectful gesture to one of the few things in the world that makes me believe in God. What? Like there has like there has to be a loving God who's like, I don't care if you're the biggest disgusting cretin ever. I'm gonna give you a hand that will give you phenomenal orgasms <laughs> whenever you want it. Whenever you want it. All you need is a, a, a safe space <laughs> a, a in a space. room. Yeah. Even a bathroom. You shower. You can just jerk off. Your hand lands perfectly right there. We got the opposable thumb. It's it's amazing that we can do that. If you think about it. And people go, oh, jerk. Uh. And also, I was like, how funny would that be if like all these douches who do that gesture, like, what if they got, what if it like caught them off guard? Like, oh, that guy over there like did the jerk. I was like, oh my God. Oh. Oh, Jesus. Sorry, what? Nothing. Uh, <laughs> it's played off. <laughs> like, it's just a thing. Like, it would just make you start, oh, gee, oh, fuck. And then they have to finish. Like, what? Don't, don't look at me. Oh, my God. <laughs> well, I can't um, stop now. <laughs> someone put their finger in my asshole. Um, so, but that was just like a stupid moment where I was like, oh, I saw the jerk off gesture. I was like, I got to write the joke. I got to write the joke. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And I wrote it. I was like, I don't know if I can do this on just stage. Just so inspired at that moment. I was so inspired. Brilliant. I was on yeah. my phone for like 20 minutes writing two sentences to try to like... <laughs> Get you're like typing it. super slow yeah <laughs> exactly um so so for me weed and shrooms mostly shrooms ha- has opened up a way of thinking for me comedically that yeah. wasn't there before where i would focus on the specifics of certain things that were absurd that i didn't notice were absurd right until it was on the shrooms yes it alters your thinking mm-hmm. you get different perspective so for you when you did the sh- uh, so you did LSD, you didn't really care for that much. No. And sh- was Shrooms next? Shrooms was next. Uh, I won't get into the gritty details of what else I did, but I I experimented. I ran the gambit. You ran the gambit. Yeah. I ran the gambit, and I yeah. figured out what was for me, what was not. And dude, I was in college, and I thought I was hot shit. I was starring in all these shows, all these main stages, all these shows in the city, and I was like, I'm untouchable. And I would show up to the classes I flunked out. When I did show up, I was usually high on something high on something wow yeah and i, I what was the thing of choice that you was a weed no coke no kind of it's you don't want to say heroin but it was heroin. no 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 no, no. <laughs> <laughs> heroin no uh, it was uh speed actually oh wow yeah how does one even what because speed to me is just adderall mm-hmm. so was that was it, it was called vivance and it wasn't oh yeah it was my friend's prescription yeah you yeah, know i was i had a subscription of vivance it was the yes. fucking tits it's so intense dude it's but like the calm 60 down. milligrams or something like that or? jesus christ yeah, i didn't do that yeah yeah time lapse it's it lasts like and you feel like hours. you figure out all the answers to the universe you know everything everything and you want to do everything and you want to do everything and you do it well mm-hmm. so you feel like you're invincible for like 12 hours and you, you love know. people you your, love people you want to talk to people yeah. I would show up to class and I wouldn't prepare the material that they wanted me to prepare I would go up there and improv something <laughs> and I thought I was the tits and I would entertain the class and the teacher would be like what the fuck are you doing dude like it's <laughs> not my I'm, I'm flunking you <laughs> the ship has sailed bro you're done he literally said that I, the teacher was like your ship has sailed oh wow I don't know why you're showing up anymore and this is the first year or second year that was, that was my sophomore year okay so it's a two year program right yeah okay yeah, ACT yeah. which is one of the more one of the best acting conservatories. Oh, it's amazing. It's amazing. Um, and you were kicked out your sophomore year. I dropped out my, my junior year at San Francisco State. So you transferred? So I was doing both. Oh, you're going back? I was, I was simuled, yeah. Oh, wow. I, I wanted to do it all. You, you know, I was, it all. I was 20 years old. I like, thought, if I have enough know. Vivance, I can do fucking three I, majors. <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> but yeah. At this point, did you, were you, 
at any point thinking I'm an addict or did that not cross your mind? No, not You're at young all. young enough that you're bulletproof. Because it didn't feel like a problem. Yeah. I, I felt in control the whole time. Even though you had a bad Sunday. <laughs> right. It was shitty. You're like, Monday, I just take my Vivans again and I can go through the week. It's when you step out of it mm-hmm. and you're sober and you look back and you go, that, that wasn't a lifestyle. That was, that was good for me. Yeah. You know, then you realize, well, maybe I kind of had a, a problem. Yeah. You know, maybe, maybe I was. Because at one point you did realize that you had an addiction. Yeah, I have an addictive personality. In well, I've general. noticed that about you. Yeah. Which is, by the way, I, I always envy people with addiction because, like, they get shit done. Your addictive personality is what <laughs> what led to you making a feature film in less than a month and producing it and shooting it and yeah. having it on Amazon. I mean, it's also, it's. I, I always think I don't know how you feel about this, and some people in the psychological community believe this, and some people don't. But I think that all forms of addiction is sort of a manifestation of uh, OCD behavior oh interesting uh-huh so that if you are an addict um you it will be that drug where your ocd will manifest and if you become sober you still have ocd which is why a lot of people in like aa programs mm-hmm. end up fucking everybody because they translate to their sexual addiction right um, yeah and sometimes they become the uh, like i when i do jujitsu every once in a while people come from the program people who are AA and they're they're the people who spaz out the most in class they're the hardest workers yeah they're the toughest to roll with because they're they, they take shit really personal and t- but they're also really good you know because mm-hmm. they, they they really focus I, I would venture to say that most of the, the the best athletes in that realm probably have some form of OCD because you have to, it's almost like chess yeah you have to like watch all the videos and read all the books and just did it like That's every day true yeah yeah so um so you went to San, did you finish San Francisco State? No, 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 I dropped out. Everything. So you dropped out of everything. What are your parents thinking about this time? Um, you know what's really funny is that my parents have been so supportive of my of my life choices when I was young. They they supported my choice to become an actor. Yeah. In high school I fell in love with it. I found out that my great grandfather was a famous vaudevillian actor yeah. who starred in like Frank Frank Capra's one of his first features, Rain or Shine, and I was like, What? I have a legacy. And yeah. I, I started participating in uh theater uh competitions, I started winning and I was like, Oh, maybe I'm good at something. Because mm-hmm. I, I didn't make any of the sports teams. Sure. I wasn't an athlete. Yeah. As much as I wanted to be. Yes. We all want to be athletes. We all want to be day. the jock. Yeah. And I was not that. Yeah. <laughs> I was the furthest thing from. I Yeah. So I I, I <laughs> So I joined like the musical theater programs. I did all this stuff in high school, and then, um, yeah, and then I and they then just I, supported you. They were they like, supported yeah, me, man. They, they, that's amazing. That's rare. It's super rare, and I was very lucky and blessed. And then I went to college, and I, I'm making myself out to be a, a schmuck, but I did a lot of shows. I, yeah. I I didn't necessarily do the classes, but I did the shows. Audition for a lot of stuff. And you were being reward. You were doing good work in the shows, and you were feeling good and bad. I was yeah. I was testing the waters. I was I was getting in front of a lot of audiences and finding out what worked and what didn't work, and and kind of finding my way with different. I was experimenting with different characters, and I, I really enjoyed the the trials and errors and the successes and failures of getting in front of an audience and what lands and what. Doesn't. And you also excelled in Shakespeare. I think you told me too. Shakespeare. Yeah. 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 I got to dabble in a lot of different art forms. A lot of different. Did you work at ACT? Uh, no, I only did the classes. I did like the uh, the screen acting courses there. Okay, um, 
buddy at San Francisco, I did like a lot of shows. And oh, so you got these shows at San Francisco State as well? Uh, yeah, I did. I think I did seventeen shows in one semester. Wow! Which sent me to the hospital because I was so. And uh, you were just wired just, doing this. Uh, man, yeah, that's you all I wanted to, to do. Yeah. So in so my parents saw that and said, "Well, he's getting something out of his college experience. It may not be academically. Yeah, but he's getting the experience he needs." to succeed in the, in whatever profession he yeah, chooses. But they didn't see any of the addiction. They didn't, had no idea. No, that, and yeah, no, they, and yeah. they have an inkling, but I don't get into gritty details. But I, I got what I wanted out of my college experience and they and they sensed that. And so when I said I, I was, wasn't going to finish, they said, yeah, we'll come down to, uh, come back to Orange County, save up for a year, and then you can go to LA and try your hand at, you know, doing so, this thing. So that... At this point, you're, I guess, maybe 21. 21, 22, 21. yeah. And you move back. When you move back to OC, was that a feeling of, fuck, man, I'm moving back home with the goddamn folks? I, yeah, you would think. Or you're like, or you're like well, no, man, I know what I want to do. So this is fine. My parents split at this point. Oh, so I, I, I uh, moved to live with my mom in a studio apartment. Wow. So one, one room. One room, and we shared the same room. It's like it's like you're like bunking with a roommate, except it's yeah. your mom. <laughs> so you can imagine. It, but actually, it was actually really nice. Yeah, we we just we like I get along with my mom very well, and she was very accommodating, and um, it brought us closer. I think. Yeah. <laughs> when you live with your mom to. in a one bedroom, yeah. Or, I'm sorry, a studio apartment. You you know you you click with that person, or it's it's a terrible experience. Yes. But it ended up being the former, and. Uh, I saved up for a year, got my first job. I had never had a job before. What was a job? I was a host at a restaurant okay. uh, in Laguna Beach. Okay. Um, I hated it, but I saved up. I went to the Cannes Film Festival because I wrote and starred in a in a short film that got accepted, and I got to go to Cannes. And I was which like, is like, for people who don't know, it is the pinnacle of of film festivals. So getting into Cannes, even though it's a short film, is remarkable for your first. Your first short you ever wrote, you uh, <laughs> you go in a can, which is fucking. <laughs> it was very exciting. Amazing. Very it was exciting. Very exciting, man. Yeah, for sure. And it, and it helped me kind of. It, it a way it like lit a fire in my ass because it's like I need to get to LA. I need to I need to start on my journey. Of so. course. And did you make connections at Can when you there? Uh, you know what? I made a lot of friends. Yeah. A lot of friendships who I keep up with to this day. Oh, that's cool. Um, who are all killing it? You know. Yeah. Just, the people you meet out there are just. They're, they, they, you know, they got OCD too, and they're yeah, they're like next level the way they get shit done. Exactly. Yeah. So, um, so you you got to get, and you're like, okay, I'm ready to move to LA, and then you moved. I moved directly. to LA, and it was a disaster. <laughs> it was, was you didn't move to Skid Row right away. I didn't. I didn't. I, that was after my first year. Okay. My first year of LA, I was floundering. I didn't know what I was doing. Do you have an agent manager? I had no representation. I had a job that didn't pay me enough to pay my rent, so I wasn't paying rent. I had a girlfriend at the time who loved to party and was like the daughter of a celebrity and we, yeah. I was caught up in that lifestyle and my, my priorities were all skewed and at the end of that first year I was like, What am I doing? If what I'm in LA I gotta I gotta make use out of You're my there time. for a year and you hadn't worked. I hadn't worked on a single project. Yeah. I hadn't done I hadn't done anything. I, I was totally aimless. And then I got really, really lucky. My roommate, who's also one of my best friends, Matt Stoner, um, had a manager. He had reps. And the, he, they submitted him. He had like a manager, but not an agent. So they, sure. the manager submitted his work to agencies. Yes, which is what they do now. Right. So I was in one of the short films 
that they submitted the to the agency. They saw me, so they called us both in, and they signed me on that spot. They said, hey, here you go. Come on in the office, and do you want to do this thing or not? And I said, I got nothing else. Go I got no other leads. <laughs> yeah, you bet. And I'm actually still with that agency to this day. Oh, wow. Yeah. They, they ended up being really great guys and uh, have yeah. worked really hard for me. Yeah. And uh, it was totally unconventional, though. Like, it was just pure luck. Yeah. Pure luck. They, it was that Cannes short film, actually, that they saw me in. Oh, wow. Mm -hmm. So and oh. so that guy, Matt Stoner, was in that with you? Yes. Okay. Yes. So you, you, now you have this manager, which, again, like, you know, people people don't necessarily know. Like, just because your manager doesn't really mean anything yet. Right. Because you have to fucking book. Right. And if you don't book this... I, You're I, dropped. I, like. I, yeah, I, I tell young actors all the time, I was like, don't be fucking loyal to your agents or managers because they're not going to be loyal to you. Yeah, only you're expendable. Anyone's replaceable. And yeah. like my last agency, I booked a lot of shit with them, but it was never the big shit. It was never like a series regular. Yeah, it was indie film here, plays here, and yeah. uh, co-star, co-stars, guest stars, yeah. and um, you know, and I was, and I'd been poached by different bigger agencies, and I was like, no nah, man, I'm a loyal guy. I'm going to stay with them. Right. And then a year went by. That was a tough year. I was going through my eviction. I wasn't booking a lot, and they fucking dropped me I was like well that's not the way it's supposed to work and I'm just like don't yeah. be fucking loyal and then to that privilege manager. comes into play and then yeah. <laughs> well well yeah yeah I feel you and when you think like oh I'm gonna leave they're like no man we really care about you. you're part of the family oh, god I hate that side of the no, business so no, much no, I hate it not. yeah part of the family oh, I hate it so much but so yeah so I got my I got my agent but I didn't have money yeah again I'm still I'm still working this horrible job where I'm not making enough money to pay my rent so we moved to Skid Row so how does that decision happen? You and Matt moved to Skid Row? Matt and I moved to Skid Row. So how do you make the decision to go to Skid Row? It was, only it was a converted loft uh -huh. right in the uh, flower district, right, on the, right in the middle of Skid Row, uh -huh. where uh, our rent would have been 250 bucks each. My God. Yeah. We, so it's like, why wouldn't we? This, this sounds great. We're young. Of we course. can handle this. You know, of we can course. do anything. Why not? And everyone keeps saying, downtown LA is picking up. It's yep. changing. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's, it's a renaissance. Yeah. Is it? Nope. To this day, it's not. And, uh, oh God, man. I remember- and You were auditioning at this time? I was auditioning, but again, I had no money. So you had to get, you take the subway, or how would you get around? There was one, I'll never forget this. There was one audition I got. That It was a big audition, and it was in Studio City. That's but I was, far from Skid Row. It's very far from Skid Row. I took a bus to Hollywood. Yeah. Got out of the bus. And I walked to the audition from did Hollywood you, to Studio City. So you walk up I couldn't Canyon afford or you walk up Coenga or what'd you do? I went up the 101. Went up the 101. Like you're on the fucking highway. I'm oranges. dressed in character. <laughs> and I hop on the 101 and I remember going over the line. I was talking to myself, going over the lines and I get on the, I get on the freeway. I Are you walking a, on the shoulder? I'm walking in the median. Like, so you know, you know where like the middle part is where the yeah. cars are racing past you. <laughs> I was that psychopath yeah. walking against traffic. And I remember like there were these succulents that were growing out of the, like the concrete in the uh -huh. middle of the medium. And one of them caught my leg and ripped <laughs> open my jeans and I started bleeding. And I was like, Oh my God, I got, I was like fighting my way through these succulents. I'd walk like three and a half miles I got to the audition, the audition room and the waiting room, and I was bleeding and disheveled and like, sweaty. And twenty people there. There's forty people there who all look yeah. like me, and I was like, God, I'm not gonna book this. And yeah. I, I got in the room, I did my thing, and they're kind of like looking at me. They had that look where they're just like, What happened to you? You know. 
And I got out of the room and I was like, well, that was a disaster. Mm-hmm. I did not book it. <laughs> it's not one of those where it's yeah, like, well, I booked like- it. Yeah. Uh, and then I and then I walked back to the bus station in Hollywood. Wow. Same way. Uh, knowing that that was a disaster. And then I got back to my apartment in Skid Row. And I just sat in my room and I was just so upset. But it, but it was a reminder. You have to really love what what you do. You have yeah. to you have to really. Um, you just have to know this is what you want to do, and you have to sacrifice for it. Yeah. Um, if anything, it gave me that that reassurance. That's cool. Because otherwise, what's the point? If you're not willing to to walk, you know, seven miles for something that you're not going to get, just to just to show up, yeah, you know, and, and let your agents know you're serious about it. They don't know about the story, but um, I remember not being able to pay it f- for transportation, and I was like, well, I didn't book it, but I, I showed up, and you know, it's, and also it's it's pretty nice to know, like, well, I can do it, I can get to the other side of fucking L.A. Yeah, it's Just possible. A, it's possible. I think the furthest I walked was Marina Del Rey to Hollywood, Jesus for an audition. Christ. Yeah. That's a, at least two hours. Right? Yeah. Uh, round trip is about four and a half. Yeah. Yeah. Jesus. Mm-hmm. Um, so this is going on. So the auditions are happening. Your agent doesn't know that you're like scrambling. I'm, I'm just scraping by. Yeah. Just scraping by. And then and then my apartment got bed bugs. I don't know if you're familiar with that. Now, I know that there was a there's a bed bug thing in New York at one point. And terrible. It terrible. was really, because they basically would, I, I never had it. Because I had Tempur-Pedic beds that don't get infected by bed bugs. Oh, was that a thing? That's that's true. Yeah. Oh, shoot. But I had friends who have, and they would have to throw away everything. They'd have to burn it in a you lose your life Viking pyre outside their fucking yeah yeah. It's the only way you have to throw away your furniture, anything cloth based. You have to put into a dryer, and just nuke it. Nuke it. Yeah. And then it just it kills them. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> that's the only thing you can do. So anything cloth based, I like my clothes, like bags or anything like that. I could save. Do you have to throw salvage. away your mattress, probably? No. What you do with your mattress is you wrap it in a uh, bed bug, like, plastic wrap, basically. You have to yeah. buy from the store. So you, you wrap it up, and then you have to leave it on there for a year. So if there are bed bugs in your mattress, they will die. Because uh, after a year, though, because they can survive off of one meal up to 12 months. <laughs> oh, my God. It's so... Nar- they're, like, indestructible. So... I left that on, I st- actually I still have it on my mattress right now <laughs> like four, five years later I still got it um, but I like all my childhood furniture lamps lamps anything like it's all in a dumpster in Skid Row and you still haven't booked and you're probably like that I must be booked. a really tough moment in your life it was kind of like what am I doing yeah like I, I have no backup plan I have no you know I, I flunked I don't have a degree I have you a high don't school, want to move back home. High school education. I don't want to move back home because then you're a failure, which is not true. But my mentality of then course. was, that's that's me dropping the ball, and I want to be, my my parents supported me so much, and I want to make them proud. So my buddy and I, we were homeless for a while. What does that mean? We we were in it together. He's like my best friend, yeah. so we're we're in it thick and thin, hell and heaven, and we ended up like couch surfing and just crashed at friends places crashing at friends places sleeping in his car you gotta get the fuck out we slept in his car for about a week yeah um and then we we found another place signed the lease right away um not in skid row not in skid row it was actually in hollywood okay and it was that year that i booked my first 
it was just a co-star, but it was like a big moment for me because it was yeah. my first you get paid your SAG card. Got my guy I had, to, I had to pay my SAG card. I, I was a must join, and I was like, oh, this is what I'm. This is what I'm here for. Yeah. And then I think I ended up booking three things after that that same year. Okay, which yeah. is a nice year. Yeah, to it was book a good four year. Things is a great is a great year. Yeah, absolutely. It's always a weird thing for. It's part of the reason why I think I start gravitating towards stand up because. Even now when people go, are you an actor or a comic or what do you most associate with? You do I'm both. Like, e- yeah, you can do both. But at the same time, I kind of go, I can do stand-up every week. Mm-hmm. I can get paid every week doing stand-up. But even if I'm working a lot as an actor, you know, barring like a, a, a series regular or a long running play, if you book four, let's say you have a year you book four guest stars, which is a fucking banner year. Yeah. But still, you're only working four weeks of the fucking year right exactly so um so that was just like kind of like not working for me i just like i got i i, I gotta do something else but so you um had another outlet so so yeah so then then you're on then at that point when you met book four roles and you started doing guest stars I got guest stars I got co-stars i got a series regular on a cwc show i was i was feeling very good and how many I, episodes on the on the series regular did uh you i think it was six 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 yeah. out of the eight eight yeah yeah yeah. And it didn't get picked up. It got picked up. It was a full season, but the season, it, it, we didn't get renewed. Okay. <laughs> because of me. No, I'm just kidding. <laughs> <laughs> oh, that's the thought. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. What did I do wrong? Um, so that's good. So now, now at this point, you're financially self-sustainable. Your parents are proud. Yeah. yeah. And what are, how are the drugs playing into this at this point? Is it still uh, part I of mellowed out. I you mellowed. I, I scaled down. You scaled down. You I were able down. to scale down. It's funny. When I start working, I am very sober. Yes. When I'm not working, it's that's when I start to slip up. Mm-hmm. Um, now that I'm 30 years old, and I, you know, I, for the past couple of years, I've been pretty good. Yeah, and I, I've kept on my shit and my sobriety, and um, just because at this point in my life, it's like I don't want to waste any more time. But you're not working a program. No, no, no. Which mm-hmm. is cool. Mm-hmm. It's funny because when we were doing, um, I want to get a little bit more sort before we get we get our experience working together, but um. <laughs> So then that happened, and then sort of after you did these guest stars and co-stars, is that when you you went got in this relationship with this woman? Yes, it was exactly that. So I met her when I was in Skid Row. We were working at the same restaurant. I kept that job when I got these other roles. So I saw her like every day. Yeah. And I remember she was the one girl who I worked with where I was like, I would love to get to know her better. Yeah. And, I, and like that's the one I could see myself being with. Yeah. And it was like that for like a year. And finally, I like asked her out, and we started hanging out, and it was kind of storybook, and mm-hmm. it all just it just felt so right and appropriate, and we clicked so well, and we vibed, and I was just like, I'm meant to be with this person, of course. But <laughs> <laughs> I'm booking these roles, right? Uh-huh. Is she an actress? She's not. She's a dancer. Okay. And a model. Um, very talented young woman. My goodness. Um, but I was, I'm, and to this day, I'm so career driven and career oriented. Yeah. That my priority, I, I, she wasn't first in my life and she knew it. Yeah. And she even told me, she's like, I'm not even second or third. I'm, I feel like I'm so low on your priority list that I don't feel special anymore. And that mm. kind of, that kind of hurt. And you were like, ah, uh, yeah, that's true. It's true. It's true. I can't, you know, it's. So then was the breakup like a mutual breakup or did she? No, not at all. And she did, she honestly, looking back, she did the thing that I would have done in her position, but. Which just cut you off cold turkey? Cut me off cold turkey and ended up um, 
being with one of my like good friends from college. <laughs> yeah. Like a person I introduced her to and was a buddy of mine and we'd worked together in Hollywood and So he was also a actor? He was also an actor. Uh-huh. And which, which hurts. It hurts, man, because I, I knew I, I was the one who introduced them, and I, I knew they, they like got along well as friends, and I didn't see it coming, and then when it happened, I was like, damn, I was so blind. So th- they, they started having an affair, basically. Yeah, Ish, yeah. basically. I was, I was phasing out, and while I was phasing out, they were phasing in. And yeah. Did they like sit you down to talk to you about it, or how did you find out? She told me, oh, no, 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 how did I find out? She told me. She told me. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I went. Ah, so uh, <laughs> to get in, relive all the pain. I know, man. Let's do it. This is my therapy. Uh, this, I went to one of her dance shows to support her, but I didn't tell her I was going. I like surprised her, and I thought I was gonna do like a really nice gesture. Oh no! And he showed up too. You're like, hey. What I was are like, you doing? oh, what's he doing here? And then after the show, her dance manager asked me to leave. She's <gasps> like, what are you doing here? I was like, oh, I'm here to support you know elena <laughs> and they're like they're like we, she doesn't want you here and i, was oh like, and I kind of threw a God. fit and i left and then i she called me at like three in the morning and was like hey i'm with lex now and i i don't know how else to tell you now i had a very bad reaction to this yeah. and i lost my mind and i just and at that point i made all the wrong choices yeah at that point when you lose your mind that situation where everything is this is my girl my my, my fu- i see my future with her yeah you lose your mind Again, you don't know who you are. And I imagine at that point, and I don't know if this is true, but I imagine drugs probably were like, hey, we're here. Alcohol sure was. Alcohol, yeah. Yeah, I was drinking heavily, and I, I uh, man, I made all the wrong choices. And that's and it's, it's moments like that where you really reflect on your mistakes. Well, where did I go wrong to drive her to do this? Yeah. And then you start to calculate, yeah, I didn't make her feel special enough. Yeah. I didn't make her a priority. Oh, okay, yeah, that's right. I missed I missed this event, or I didn't do that for her, and it's kind. Mm. You kind of come. You're like, oh, I am at fault. Sure. It is my fault. She's not the bad guy necessarily. You know. How uh, long take you to come to that realization? About a week. But oh wow, about a week. Yeah. Um. And did you were you able to salvage your relationship with Lex? No, I haven't talked to him to this day. To this day, no. are they still together? Do you know? They're not. They're not. They're not. She's happily with somebody else now. Yeah. As as is he, I think actually. Yeah. Um. But. I, she cut me off completely after that week because I had a very bad reaction and then she just blocked me. Yeah. And at that point, you there's nothing more you can do. You're not going to show up at their house or anything. That's of course. psychopathic. But um, that's when I, I had to, you know, I had to come to a crossroads and say, I can completely self-destruct or I can try to do my best to... Uh, cope with this situation and this you know you learn a lot about yourself when you're in situations like this that's when i started to go to different bars and go to libraries by myself or go to parks and just kind of take in my atmosphere and and see the different characters and people who are around you and you you find out a lot about yourself in very low points yeah I've, i've noticed and then i just started writing that screenplay and that was what kept me going. Yeah. It was just one how did you go from writing the screenplay to getting it produced? I so I wrote the screenplay, and and my best friends, my my small circle, knew what I was going through, and they knew yeah. I was writing something. Um, and then I, at the end of it, after that month, I I I showed it to them just because you know you show your your yeah. your best friends something you you wrote, my first feature, you know. Yeah. And they read it and they said, I 
let's make this happen, man. Like they, they, they also could relate to it. They've, we've all gone through breakups or, you know, hard times. And they said, there's something to be said here. This is definitely universal. And my buddy, Matt Stoner comes back into the spotlight and he says, I'm going to get this financed. And I'm wow. like, I'm like, okay, dude. like, sure. Yeah, 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 sure. I'm like, you know, thanks, man. Like, thanks for saying uh, that yeah, you yeah. like Appreciate it. Appreciate the support. But, uh, and then he was working at the Waldor- Waldorf Astoria in Beverly Hills at the time on the rooftop bar and served this amazing man who happened to have a lot of money who ended up uh, taking uh, an interest to Matt. <laughs> okay. Yeah. <laughs> One interest. of those situations. Yes, yes, yes. And Matt sent him the scripts. And he was like, oh, this is actually pretty great. I, I can, you know, I can relate to this. And this guy was just an investor with money. He wasn't a producer necessarily. He had just, he had inherited money from his family's estate uh-huh. very recently and said, I could donate a certain amount of money to make this happen for you guys because I just, I believe in it and I like you, Matt. And I met him and he's a very sweet man. Uh, and just like that, the movie was greenlit. Now, let me ask you this. So, uh, did he fund the whole film? He funded most of it. Most of it. The what rest... What the budget end up being? The, uh, just north of $500,000. 500000 okay. Yeah, so he, I think he put up two fifty to three hundred. Yeah. The rest was sourced from another investor in Canada. And... That Matt found as well? Uh? That Matt found. Yes. yes. Matt's a hustler, man. Yeah, Dude, like that it. guy can... He can get you juiced on any project. Damn, I gotta talk to this guy. You gotta talk to, you gotta talk to this guy when he's sober. <laughs> um, and the rest, Matt's family put in money very generously. Uh, the director Jason, um, his dad put in some money. They sold their their they sold his grandmother's house. Uh, it, it was very much like scrounged together. Yeah. At that point, uh, and we shot in twenty days. Got it. Okay, got it yeah. done and locked, and we shot in L.A., which uh-huh. was a bitch were you doing some gorilla shit i wish no we probably should have permits for everything la dude film la fucked us oh it's tough man it is permits and it's they the nitty-gritty details it is tough man who who was negotiating did you get a really good line producer how did you negotiate we had a good team we we had some and there most of the people were comprised of of, uh students who went to san francisco state with me okay like 70 percent of the crew were all people that i that i knew which was really nice yeah um and they they knew enough to get the job done and they they covered their bases yeah um and we made the film. It's it got picked up on Amazon, and um, so to get that film picked, so you knew the festival route. Yeah, yeah, yeah. We've we've gone to a, to a, I want to say like thirteen festivals now. Oh wow, what was the biggest one? I want to say Dances with Films was the biggest. Okay, right here in uh, the Chinese Theater. Yeah, and so is that where the Amazon people saw it and bought it? No, we actually we got um, we got uh, distributors. Okay. Um, who showed it to Amazon and they were like, yeah, we'll put this on our, our platform. Yeah. yeah. Um, they, I, I'm not a part of the business side of it sure. at all. Yeah. I yeah. lack all business. Me too. Yeah, bro. <laughs> I'll, I'll, I'll perform in front of a camera for you. I'll dance monkey dance, but yeah. business, that's all Matt Stoner. <laughs> so then you were the, you were the lead, you were the writer, you were also a producer on it? No, just the writer and actor. Okay. Yeah. 
Yeah. And after I wrote it, I, I'm not that kind of writer who's like, well, it has to be this certain way or, you know, like yeah. I envision it like this. Once the script was done and locked, I gave it to the team. I said, do whatever you want with it. Cut things, change things, do whatever you want to do. I'm just going to be an actor now and, yeah, you know, just make this the best possible you're very You're very military as an actor. You're very like, all right, I'm game. What yeah, I'll do it. Whatever, whatever. I'll, I'll, I'll fuck up my leg for a scene, and <laughs> I'll, I'll bash my leg in with a rock if I have to. <laughs> Christian Bale it. <laughs> um, and the and the shoot went smoothly. Yeah, I mean, I, I, I always say filmmaking is problem solving. Yes. So you're always going to come across hurdles. Yeah. And you just have to overcome them or figure out another way. Yeah. Which is what we did, especially with indie filmmaking. And, of course. You know, even if you have the permits or you have, you know, you go through it, you know, SAG and you go. Yeah, because some asshole is going to come bored and cause troubles. There's going to be problems every day. Yeah. Every day. And there were. And we got around them. And we got the footage we needed to make a feature. So, yeah, yeah. We, we basically. Amazon bought. Now, have you, have you gotten paid from, from this movie? Did I it, did. I did. Well, do you you, still, uh, what did, do you mean? Like on the back, or, or yeah, I don't quite know what the streaming structure is. I do. I do. I will say this: when Dave Chappelle won on, he said, I, "They ain't paying me to put Netflix. The, Netflix ain't paying me for Chappelle show." And I was like, "You got Dave Chappelle's getting screwed." I'm like, "Everyone's getting screwed by Netflix, motherfucker." Like Jeremy Piven is on Entourage. He's gonna get a fucking dime from where it's streaming. Is, did they change that recently though? Or I feel like they had to. Have, did they? I don't know. I feel I like they had so, to have adjusted man. that. I haven't had any. I, I had this. I, uh, this TV show that I shot with Spectrum that got on Netflix. It was like in the top, I got, I think I got to the top two or top three mm. for, you know, in the top 10 Netflix has. And it was, and there was like, oh, that's what a big break for you, Bill. Are you getting residuals? I'm like, I'm not getting fucking residuals for that. Is that just me? a platform thing or is that I don't know. Like I don't know if it's, thing, I think it's a streaming thing. I know that the God, film I did sucks, man. before the sun explodes, which is on, Amazon. which I want to watch, by the way. Yes, we both have to watch I watched a clip of you online. I looked it up and you've, Freaking killed it, man. Well, I'd be curious what you think about it because... It's the I, audition tape or something where you're like doing a full monologue, comedic monologue in front of a panel. Yeah, yeah. It's really cool, man. I, 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 I remember that moment. My mom was in the hospital and I was going through a lot of emotional shit. Oh, God. And I was Christian. I was making myself really nauseous for that scene because, you know, my character, he's doing this pitch and he gets fucking nauseous and he ends up throwing up. It. That's know. right. Yeah. And... Uh, and I was going through, and I was like, I want to fucking puke at the end. Like I really like want, actually. I wanted. So they would put this. They'd put the the fake puke in your mouth, and then you're like, and I'd have to, and I'd have to, and they kept doing it. Okay, so I was like, if I do it one more time, I'm going to actually puke. I'm okay with that. <laughs> the director's like, great. <laughs> yeah, I'm okay with that. Yeah. But just so you know. Yeah. Like, uh, that puke didn't really work. I'm like, okay, then I'm going to really puke. <laughs> I'm going to blow chunks in because a second. It's about to happen, just so you know. <laughs> oh, my God. And of course, I wasn't I wasn't eating at all. I was just smoking cigarettes and taking Adderall and just yep. trying to torture myself. Yep. So I was like, I don't know what's going to come out when I puke because there's no food in my stomach. It's just going straight bile from my Yeah, 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 yeah. <laughs> Oh, dude, intense. Yeah. Well, it and read. Then I, but then I saw it and I was like, ah, oh, they didn't really shoot it well. It was like oh, really? A medium shot. I felt like it should have been more close. I the don't performance know. was great, though. I remember watching that clip. I think it was like a month ago. It, the, the, I, I will tell you this. I look back I, and I definitely gave it my all. And um, I, I tried my best. I look back now and go, fuck. I would have done this. this well, that's yeah. always the case, always right? The case. Always the case. Always the case. Um, but it's not bad. I, I think you might. I think you might dig it. And and the filmmaker. Where do I find this film again? It's on Amazon as well. Amazon, perfect. Um, 
Deborah Eisenstadt, who's a really remarkable uh, female f- filmmaker. Great. Um, she, who married a Brett Morgan, who did The Kid Stays in the Picture. Yeah. Um, a really great documentary filmmaker. And um, she she's a really... She, I would love to work with her again. It, w- it was testy because I'm not like you. I'm, 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 I'm the squeaky wheel, always. Really? I'm a squeaky... F- I was a squeaky wheel on our set, man. In what way? I just like... If there's something that I want to express i'm going to express it i don't oh have i see what you're saying you know what i mean you're gonna like, do it your way hey michael i know i'm a fucking small part but <laughs> let's do this i was so close to emailing michael be like i have an idea for the movie yeah um, you know what's the best part of that is that he would have read it and he, he would take into consideration it. he would have that's exactly. the good thing about michael he's, the, he's so man. down to collaborate man yeah um so i mean so after you, you do this film and it's on amazon that's that's a big step for freddie and it must have put you into the conversation in the industry is like here's a guy who made a film maybe i mean i but you, I, you would know that's behind the scenes maybe. i i think it's a, a lovely little film and i'm really proud of the team yeah really proud of the team i do chalk it up to a personal failure though yeah um if i'm being honest i'm How's very that? i'm very critical of myself as a performer you mean you think your performance we, we talked about this i think well. it's a combination of the writing and the performance i think it's hard to um play a character who is so introverted and doesn't emote enough for an audience to latch on to. Yeah. And I think I fell victim to that. Yeah. Um, and that's something I just, you know, you got to take with a grain of salt. You got to, you got to, you know, shake the dust and, and, and learn the lesson that you have to find the hope. Yeah. You got to find the and hope. That, was, you the got, that yeah. was a big conversation we had when we were stoned one night in the hot tub. That's and right. Jerry <laughs> Phelps was that as a lead actor, if you look at the great leads in, in cinema... Um, there's always an, a, a sort of overriding passion to make things better or, or, or to solve a problem right. to get to some thing, whether it's physically or emotionally or mentally, whatever it is, you have to get to this thing. Yeah. And there's always the belief that you can get to this thing, get to this there promised land in your right. head. And if you don't have that, and if you're just kind of along for the ride, these performances can end up looking very passive. And when you have a passive performance, mm-hmm. Um, it's hard for an audience to kind of, if you're the protagonist, to follow the journey. Right. And we and not to talk shit about this, but it's an interesting performance. I mean, if you look at John David Washington and Tenet. Tenet, yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, I mean, that movie was a mess for a lot of reasons, I think. I know some people loved it, but um, it, it w- seemed clear to me from watching that film that I didn't know where what he wanted. I didn't, never knew what he wanted in the film mm-hmm. because at one point I'm going, oh, this is, he's in love with, Elizabeth Debicki so that's fueling him to figure out because he's in love with this woman but I never felt that he and that could be a direction thing I never felt like he was like I'm going to fucking sacrifice for this person there was never that moment there was never that moment right you never felt that between them right and when it was revealed that he was actually doing it kind of for her you're like really I didn't see that at all yeah um, and I think that that, that's why l- like love stories are so crucial to almost every movie that is successful because and it can be a love story for a, a, a child a mother a daughter but someone that you have to love who's like like in Great Gatsby the green light in the horizon yes. that you're also yes. you're always going for and um, mm. when that's gone it's so hard to find that just about yourself right you know and I, and I know those performances do exist but in general I usually find it's it's so much more active to have. So for, so for my performance in Before the Sun Explodes, I think that um, 
I suffer from that too. And, and mm. we'll both watch each other's films and go, <laughs> because we I'm suck. Going, I, I, I am, I play a comic who is, who's seen his heyday, who's still trying to be relevant. And I mm-hmm. kind of got swept up with this sort of obsessive comedy fan who I'm intrigued by, but I have a family. And the moment, there's got to be a moment where I choose my family and I felt like my need to be with my wife wasn't the fucking motor running mm. it. You know what I mean? I didn't yeah. have that in my head. So the result is I was being frustrated during the shoot of like, what, what am I going for? What am I doing? What am, not like, what am I feeling? That's like acting one-on-one. Mm-hmm. When I started, because I have so many emotions and I have anger and passion, and I can cry on cue. Well, uh, that's great, but it's not about what you're feeling. Who gives a fuck what you're feeling? Sure. What are you doing? Right. What are you trying to do? What are you yeah. trying to accomplish? What do you want from that person in the scene? And I think that it's just it's it subtly, I subtly fail in that regard in, in, mm. in the movie. Look, looking at it, but whatever you, you'll say. So, um, so that what you said was a personal failure. You felt this a similar thing that you yes. felt like your character wasn't driving it, was it very enough. passive, and that was a writing thing too. Yeah, I didn't take that in consideration when I wrote it. Yeah. So when I watch it, I'm just kind of like, I want to shake the character's shoulders and be like, come on, man, like, give yeah. me something, <laughs> you yeah. know, like, yeah. very introverted. I, 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 I uh, internalized a lot of the yes. emotions too and you, much. And I you're think. kind of, and sometimes as an actor, like, if I internalize it, it'll... It'll read. It'll read. Yeah. And sometimes it doesn't, I mean, for yeah. me, the most edifying example of that is the first show I did with an actor, Michael Emerson, who is everywhere he was in lost he was in um he's an evil that show evil person of interest really interesting actor Mm -hmm. um he played oscar wilde i played his young gay lover (laughs) and um and not to knock michael he's he's a technician you know and i fancy myself something closer to a method actor Mm -hmm. like if i don't if i don't feel like i'm supernaturally connected to the ghost of the person (laughs) That's interesting. Prote- That's an interesting prote- combination. Two different, two and, completely and different types I of actors. If I don't, if I don't weep, if I don't have like snot dripping on my nose, yeah, by the end of it, I've then failed. I've failed. Yeah, and this this ran for a, a year and eight months. Shoot, this play it was a huge fucking hit. Wow. And Michael is a technician, so he has this great voice, and he, he would he would do this moment like, "My dearest boy, I reach out my hand to you," <gasps> and he would do this like fake cry moment. It's very technical. And I would yeah. go. That's fucking fake, dude. You're not crying. Your eyes aren't wet. You're doing yeah. a gesture, and I was like, "And but I'm fucking crying." I mean, look at, look how yeah. fucking. And I was convinced that everyone's gonna see it, but no, everyone saw him and his mastery of the of the technique and his ability. Because it's not about what you feel; it's about what you make everyone feel. else feel. Right, and exactly. that applies to everything. It applies to comedy. It's like, what is? Who gives a shit about what yeah. you feel? And for some reason, what I felt and what I was conveying to the theater audience wasn't quite translating. A couple of reviews were very positive, but mm-hmm. in general, they were like, he's just some histrionic fucking... I remember David Mamet came and just like, ugh. Well, David Mamet, we both know David yeah. Mamet's approach he, on acting like, is... Just say the lines. Just emoting yeah. up there. Fuck him. Yeah. Um, and that was interesting because it was... It, and, and not in a way, like I said, I'm not talking shit about Michael Emerson because he... That is what an actor's job yeah. is. Yeah. To tell you pr- the you to tell the story yeah. and to make people feel a certain way. And he had the ability to do that. Yeah. As much as I felt everything, I, I couldn't connect as much. It's also partly the characters as well. Sure. You know. Um because people care about Oscar Wilde, they give a shit about Lord Alfred Douglas. Um 
but it sort of changed my mind about that. I was like, well, I got to look at what that means mm. um, f- for me, you know, personally. Um, so that, uh, how long was you make this film? This came out this year, actually. Oh, wow. So it, I want to say April 10th. It April 10th. started streaming on Amazon. Oh, nice. It went to festivals the year before. Very cool. We shot it in 2018. Oh, wow. That's very cool. So yeah. um, do you have another one in you? you have another screenplay in you? I, I'm working on one right now. Oh, cool, I'm, man. I'm very frustrated with it. I'm in the third draft. Um, hopefully going to shop it around this year, actually. Um, it's, it's basically a play translated to film. Yeah. One shot. Very ambitious. One set? One, sh- one take. Oh, it's gonna be a one. Like it's one of those pretentious oneers. Pretentious ones, like nineteen seventeen, baby. It's like choreography, very much like a dance. Well, nineteen seventeen, that was all. It was. It, it was faux, faux It was like ten shots. Yeah, 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 exactly. Maybe this is more. a true, hopefully a true, true oneer. Maybe wow. two. Yeah, that's impressive, Ben. Yeah. Um, good for you, dude. That you're doing that. So, cut to uh, we both audition for a film called Invasion. Uh, starring Riz Ahmed, who we're both big fans of. He's great. Riz Ahmed's <laughs> fucking amazing. If you don't know Riz Ahmed, he I, he first came to my attention, and I think a lot of people's attention, a movie called The Night Of, I know, a series, limited series on uh, HBO, HBO right? called yeah. The Night Of, where he played the lead, and it was just a great role. And that's also, you know, he is a good actor. He also has a face that is made for a camera, a face of <laughs> totally. just raw vulnerability and emotion and, and big eyes, and you just see it. So um, when I heard that that he was the lead actor, it was you know obviously you wanted to be Brad Pitt or Tom Cruise, <laughs> but um, but I was like, man, this guy's fucking great. I, I, I was stoked. I, I was stoked. Yeah, I, I saw him in Nightcrawler in 2014. Oh, that's I don't. That's remember when he came on that. my radar. Have you seen it? I saw it. But I don't remember him. That was a oh long time ago. Oh my god, he's firing it, man. Yeah, he is so fucking good. I was, I was, I remember watching him being like, this guy is like, he's the next big thing. Really, I totally, I totally saw it, and then he got that the Night of series on HBO, mm. um, and then what he got Venom, the villain in Venom, and then he started he got like the uh, film with Joaquin Phoenix, uh, that western. He he started uh, like picking up. Yeah. So when I when I heard that he was in this film, because I got the breakdown of the movie in the audition, and then I saw that he was attached, and I was like, dude, I gotta book this. Yeah. This is, a, this is an actor who was on my radar since, you know, oh, seven wow. years ago that I've just always wanted to work with. That's great. Yeah, so I was very excited to get the opportunity. So it's cool. So we, we got cast, and uh, um, I think you texted me out of the blue. was like, hey, how are you getting, how are you getting to the <laughs> desert? <laughs> Can I get a ride? I can't walk there. <laughs> Not this time. <laughs> I was like, sure, man. And... Um, we went to got a little got a little La Quinta Suites wherever the fuck it was in Indio, I forgot where we stayed Hampton Inn or some shit. Yeah. Um, and we did this production. It was a very cool, you know, it was very cool because we're in the presence of a of a great actor with mm-hmm. Riz and a director who um, knows his fucking shit. He just came off of Beast. Of Beast, and he won the the BAFTA for our. Uh, like uh, what was it? Rising director award or something yeah, like that. Yeah. A really nice, very British. Very British. Um, and he was very amenable to everything that we suggested, everything we wanted for characters. Unfortunately, a lot of our shit got cut because of time <laughs> constraints and we're not the fucking important part. Um, but it was, a, it was a real amazing. And then you told me that uh, Riz was sort of on a couple short lists for 
best actor nomination for yeah. Sound of Metal. Because his uh, Sound of Metal uh, premiered at TIFF in 2019, and he was getting a lot of attention from that, and I was like, oh, wow. And, it, and I looked at the trailer, and it was like, this is a movie I would definitely want to watch. Yeah. And he was already in talks for a possible Oscar nomination, and that's only been ramped up in the past. Wow, this helicopter is right over us. Usually, you can you don't hear him on the, but you'll hear that uh, one. Hollywood, baby. Um, yeah. So and and so because of that, I, I wasn't really following him. But then I was like, I'm going to watch Sound of Metal, which is on Amazon right now. And um, it's if you haven't seen it, you should definitely watch Sound yeah. of Metal. It's Holy a, shit! It's right? a really amazing film. What's yeah. really you know what's interesting about that? So it, it, the story is, it's a heavy metal drummer who starts losing his hearing and pretty soon into the movie it's gone his hearing's pretty much gone yeah and again back to where we're talking about he is just trying to find the way to move forward he the whole mm-hmm. thing is him just trying to like i'm i'll figure it out man i'll f- i'll figure it out i'll yeah. do this i'll, I'll do sell this. my home i'll, I'll do whatever sell, it takes I'll, I'll make my relationship with this woman that i love work yep I'll sell my home. I'll get my hearing back, and we'll go back to our life as musicians on the road. And it it just feels very authentic and and real. And the, the, I don't want to spoil it too much, but he he wants to get a, a cochlear uh, implant. Um, I have some connection to the deaf community because my last girlfriend, who I thought I was going to marry, who I converted to Judaism for, she um, her father was deaf. So, um, oh, wow. I think he had like maybe like 5% hearing and he would never wear his, his hearing aids and we, they'd even go out to parties together and he just wouldn't wear his hearing aids. Oh, really? And I always thought that was weird and his, her mom thought it was weird, but I talked to him about it from his point of view. It's relaxing as fuck. Like you don't have to worry about shit. You don't have, you don't hear all the garbage mm. that people spew all the time and mm. you can have he can read lips so he can have very selective conversations but he felt a lot more comforted in having them off wow um and it was getting as i was saying it was getting worse and worse um but it made me really think about like the deaf community and they they really do um they don't think of it as a handicap Mm -hmm. they think of it as not a gift but it it gives them a certain sense of pride that they're part of this community and they and they're really cohesive um, so what's interesting about this movie, uh, I did like a joke tweet saying something like, you know, I saw Sound of Metal and Riz Ahmed actually didn't go deaf during this film. So that's bullshit. And also the other guy, <laughs> he's the, the, the son of, of deaf parents, but he's not deaf. And he says he's in the film like... We have to cancel this film. And I wrote, just kidding. It's the best film of the year. (laughs) And then I heard that there was conflict. There was controversy about it. Are you serious? Yeah. I was was afraid of that. There was actual controversy. Ah. It wasn't a lot. It wasn't enough to kind of like submarine any Oscar talk, I think, I hope. But um, it it, it existed in the deaf community because a friend of mine, uh, Amir Arison on the blacklist, I, I had him watch it. And he is... He has this whole arc where he's learning sign language and his sign language teacher got into a discussion about this. Like, well, you know, they could have used a real deaf actor for this. And oh, mm-hmm. why did that guy... Be? It, it wasn't so much because the, the Riz thing didn't bugger as much because it's like, oh, so, well, he goes deaf. Yeah. He doesn't start He starts deaf. as a person with hearing and then he's... Um, yeah. But it's definitely got to the point where it, it, it's become 
sort of comical how actors are no longer allowed to act outside a certain window of what they right. can do. Like, I don't think Jared Leto in, what was it, the Matthew McConaughey movie? Dallas Buyers Club. Dallas Buyers Club. I don't think that could happen again. Oh, there's so many things that can happen. As a matter yeah. of fact, I think that we were talking about some of the actors on the slate to maybe get nominated, like Stanley Tucci. He's playing a gay man. Like, are you Supernova, gonna, yeah. Is a gay man, is a straight man playing a gay man going to be nominated anymore? Right. And I know that when James Corden and Pro- do you see Prom by the way? Mm-mm, mm-mm. It's so funny because uh, I was like, I'm just going to watch it because you know whatever. I'm I'm a Broadway <laughs> guy. I have a lot of history with it. Yeah. Meryl Streep. Right. You got to watch Meryl Streep. <laughs> yeah. Um, and there's great shit in that movie, and it was like whoever it was, the uh, Ryan Murphy or the right, they just couldn't stop. They just couldn't stop. Yeah. They had to have everyone have their fucking power song or two. And it just was at one point you're like, when is this fucking movie going to end? <laughs> and we get it. Enough singing and dancing, man. Yeah. Um, and it just doesn't ultimately at the end, it doesn't work, but it could have worked if, if they just killed some more of their babies, you know? Yeah. But what's funny about that. And I bring that up because James Corden, who's a great actor, by the way, he is. People don't know this about James. He is. James Gordon's a fucking great, great, great theater actor. actor, man. Yeah, he's legit as fuck. He can sing like a motherfucker. Yeah, uh, I think his big breakout role. He played this guy who's maybe like mildly mentally handicapped, who won the British version of The Voice. Oh wow! And he had this like, and he played that character, and I think that's what really broke him out. He oh, did a series gosh. called The Wrong Man on Hulu, where he was great. Or, or like one gentleman, two governors. Did you hear about that? Oh, I know he was. He was, he was brilliant in that. I watched that recently. My God, he killed it. It was, it was a like, movie. It was a. It was a. It was film. on Broadway, was and they film. and they they filmed it during quarantine. They had like the, the Broadway did like they released certain performances. Oh, so he did during quarantine. No, he did in 2012. Uh-huh. But in quarantine, Broadway released Got the footage of the show, and my God, man, he was brilliant. Yeah, the and guys, it, the guys, sickly he's a talented, talented dude. And what's funny is because he got a lot of. Uh, backlash because of he was doing quote unquote gay face uh. because he was playing a campy gay man which was celebrated up until five minutes ago if you could effectively right. do a cam- and it wasn't all surface like there's deep moments with his character I mean he's he's, he's mm-hmm. crying he's confronting his mother there's there's and they're just like he's playing a stereotype of a gay man but the truth is like even the stereotype of of gay people and i think most gay people will accept that like it is also a bit of a performance that a lot of gay men engage in sure by being like oh i'm going to be this type of gay guy and all this shit and like it's they they have to craft that themselves so he wasn't doing anything where you felt like oh come on dude what are you doing Mm -hmm. but it was enough for the twitter mob to go he's doing gay and he had like issue an apology and it just kind of it, it just put a blemish on the whole thing it just uh, really kind of unfortunate because i don't know what he could have done other than butch up the role he by the way he wasn't playing the part any more effeminate than he already is you know what i mean really <laughs> he's kind of a feminine guy he's kind of feminine. so um i thought he did a, a fantastic job and when that happened i was like oh wow man that's where we're at right now yeah um and i know that sia did a, a movie with an autistic uh, about an autistic person based on someone she knew. Oh, wow. And she wanted to bring awareness to the autistic community. Sure enough, man, autistic people, and I mean, 
quote unquote, there's a spectrum. So I don't know how yeah. autistic they are. Maybe they're low end Aspergers, but they're like, you know how many like actors with autism there are that could have actually. Oh, played the actor this wasn't didn't have autism. No, I, actor didn't have autism. Oh, but they, again, if you if you want to hire an autistic actor, a legitimately autistic actor, not like Hannah Gadsby, who's like, oh, I'm autistic because people will like me more. It, it's more like legitimately autistic people and I've worked with autistic kids when I was in high school and that's yeah. that's a real handicap the, the ability to communicate with autistic people is, is very limited so um, the idea that you'd have to hire autistic people who are very difficult to on a set where there's time constraints and budget constraints and have to like corral them and, and communicate to them in an effective way yeah it, it, it's not realistic you know, I'm sure there are autistic or Asperger's actors who could have. Who There's exceptions the like Peanut Butter Falcon, the kid with Down syndrome. Yeah, yes. yeah, yeah. And of course, I it's mean, possible, but it's hard to coordinate for sure. Yeah, yeah. And I think, um, yeah, I don't know what the story is of, of that production. Uh, I know it definitely briefly revived Shia LaBeouf as like a good actor. That and Honey Boy. And now he's fucking up canc- until now he's yeah. canceled again. <laughs> yep. Yep. Whoops. Um, yeah. Oh, well he's a talented guy too. Um, mm-hmm. that's just, that's an interesting place. And now, you know, and I, I've made jokes about this with you as well. Like now that we are cisgendered white men in the acting business, <laughs> um, the roles for us, and, and this is not a complaint. It's just narrowed down a bit, you know? Yeah. And at with my age and my size, the roles I'm going in for are like... White nationalists. White nationalists. Yeah. Maybe an FBI agent, but kind of like the big guy. And I've never thought of myself as a big guy, but I just have an audition to have to do like this week where it's like a big brute of a guy at a strip club. I'm like, all right, I guess that's where I'm at. I guess I'm lifting again. Um and that's fine. Like I don't, I don't, I don't. I think my days of being a leading man are sort of behind me, which is fine, you know. Unless there's something perfect that pans you never out know. And, you never know. Um, yeah. So and that's okay too. So uh, because there's there's you can make great roles out of anything, you know. That's true. Um. <clears throat> so what do you think? Uh, what do you look at in terms of that? Do you do you look at your career moving forward? Do you go because you're still thirty? It's like you're in the perfect wheelhouse to still be like a leading man, you know? And um, do you see yourself more as a character actor or a leading man? Do you think, does it occur I, to you? I'm, I feel I'm more of a character actor, yeah. but I've been placed in the leading man, yeah. and I have a, a lot less fun doing that. Yeah. yeah. I remember I heard a quote from Billy Crudup years ago, because he went to NYU. He was before me, but he went to NYU, and great-looking guy, yeah. obviously. Great actor. Weird dude. Yeah, like I, I I know Billy a little bit. He's 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 an odd dude. Yeah, in in a room of twenty people, he's not the guy that you look at or notice. He's a mm. kind of mousy, kind of retiring, introverted guy. Mm. He's got a lot of demons, and um, he said in an interview, he goes, you know, I'm a character actor, and all people want to do is put me in leading man roles. It yeah. just doesn't suit me. I'm going to do it, and um, but he just said he said it never really worked for him. Yeah, which is a weird thing to, to say at the height of his career, and then you see him as a leading man in a lot of these films, and it—I don't want to say it doesn't work, but it's like not. There's something about his energy or character that you need to be more just kind of—I don't know what it is. Gotta, yeah, I feel like I suffer from the same syndrome. Like I, I, I'm much more comfortable in a supporting character role, who has the freedom to be a little bit more flashy. Yeah, take a little bit more risk. Quirky and make quirky, weird choices. Yeah, 
Right. Because Billy Crudup in the morning show on Apple TV, mm-hmm. he just got nominated for an Emmy, right? Yeah, that's yeah, right. And I, I don't know if he, I don't know if the Emmys happened. Did he win? But he got nominated for an Emmy yeah. for that. And um, he's great in it. Mm-hmm. And you look at it, and what I know about Bill, he's fucking fantastic because it's the odd, it's a weird fucking guy who's got this weird energy, but it's also really charming and good looking. But it's sort of yeah, he's works got a he's got perfectly. a unique unique thing about him for yeah, sure. Yeah, but it, people keep wanting to, they kept wanting to be the 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 affable romantic comedy leading man, you know, and it's just like. Yeah. It was like a bad suit for him. It didn't yeah. really work. And so now he found his thing, you know, in, in, yeah. in his 50s, he found his thing. Sometimes it takes that long. <laughs> yeah, exactly. I'm just going to be the fucking big brute. I Come on, man. Look. You got this. <laughs> I know. Believe me. I'm like, oh, I don't want, but yeah, fuck. I Drop your protein shake on the ground. <laughs> <laughs> um, shit, man. So what's, what's uh, the rest of the year? Look, what's 2021 look like? For I you? am, uh, slated to shoot a movie in Italy in May of this year, uh-huh. um, where I'm going to be playing, uh, an astronaut, a, a space diver. Oh, wow. Um, and I'm also playing his twin brother oh. who happens to be AI completely manufactured. Uh, so I'm going to be deep faking and playing two roles at the same time that's pretty badass yeah man. i'm very excited man devil works is uh this the distributor and uh the script is going through a final draft but we're all slated to start production in may and and if the, and i think may is uh, my hope and guess is that may is when this silly virus is going to sort of start seriously abating yeah I'm, I'm thinking so when the when the vaccine comes out to the public i think we'll start yeah saying, i think what people don't realize who are in the industry is that covid has taken such an enormous hit and if you are trying to make a film you have to follow sag protocol and it's usually about 20 to 30 percent of the budget right so if you have a three million dollar film well you better come up with an extra million dollars yeah or you can't get it made. you have to plan for that yeah and no large extra scenes, no crowds. Yeah. You've got to scale down your production. Yeah. And the crew and the cast can't hang out. Mm-hmm. B team and A team. sit next to each other. Not, uh, you know, within six <laughs> feet. Yeah. They'll throw a stick at you. Yeah. So, um, well, shit, man. I'm so glad you came, man. It's so good to see you. And, and it's nice to hear some more of your story. I yeah. look forward to what you got. I'm going to watch your film. It's called what again? Oh, I wrote this for you. I wrote this for you. Did you ever show it to her? Did, did she know? She hasn't seen it yet. She saw the trailer and she messaged me for the first time uh, since our breakup oh, after wow. watching the trailer and said, hey, I'd love to meet with you. We had coffee uh-huh. and caught up and I don't think she's seen the film yet. She was a little nervous, but she, it's tough. It's And I totally get it. You know, yeah. I totally get it. I, Even though you're like, I made this film for you. Yeah, I yeah, yeah. yeah. I, was like, I was like, I don't expect you to watch it. If you want to watch it, let me know what you think about it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But I, uh, yeah. I think no. she will one day. Maybe one day. One day she'll be like, you know what? Try yeah, it. let me check this out. <laughs> let me spend a, a 93 minutes and check Very it out. Very cool. So uh, check out Brendan Lee Cook, all of, his, all of his work in different places. I'm sure there's different stream platforms where you can see your stuff. And uh, you're you're on the rise, man. I look forward to, to being your friend and seeing what's coming up in the future. And Thanks. hopefully we work together soon because we yeah. do look like brothers a little bit. We do, bro. Yeah. Or I, I could we... be your dad, let's be honest. <laughs> <laughs> Thanks for having me, man. Of Appreciate course, it. Man. Thanks for coming. All right, bye-bye. Bye-bye, bye-bye.